0: Major Fox, Fox 2. Ninja. Out. Zero, 090. Zero. Okay, and welcome back to Fast Chip Performance then. I'm Tim Davies and today we've got something a bit different. Because I've had an email from a guy in Australia. Ex-Guy, ex-Royal Air Force guy, uh, now doing something completely different. Has written me an email and I really enjoyed what he'd written. It was very authentic. Uh, so I wrote back to him and I said, Can I use your email? I think there's some people out here that will really benefit from the wisdom that you are bringing in that email. He said, sure thing. So um, I'm going to read those emails out to you, really. That's what we're going to do. Maybe have a bit of a discussion at the end. If you're looking at joining one of the services at the moment, or you're looking to employ, uh, sorry, apply for some kind of employment at a university or school, this is a great podcast for you. It really is. If you have nothing to do with the military, um, and you're in a steady job, and like me, you're in your early 40s or whatever, this is an awesome podcast for you, all right? So there's some great content in here. I'm going to jump straight in, comma, um, just to get some terms out of the way quickly so I don't have to break the email flow because a lot of people will be in their cars or on the train or whatever listening to this stuff. Um, he Obviously, AEOP was the role that he was applying for. It's air electronics uh, operator. Um, also, that's like a weapons system operator now. It's a non-commissioned role. Okay, so he's a non-commissioned officer um, and obviously he was looking to apply for pilot. But the whole point was he didn't believe that he could be a pilot. He applied for this non-commissioned role instead. Uh, That's going to come out in the emails. I'm not going to then address that. I'm just going to say AOP or WIZOP um, in the email now and then we'll have a chat about it later if you want to. You can Google those terms if you want. You can find out what they entail if you are interested in that kind of role. It's um, back-end Nimrod Sentinel. Uh, is doing Reaper, RPAS stuff out in the States. Let's not get technical with the term. okay? These, these guys are legends as we know um, and that's obviously what he was looking at applying for and, and spending his career in. Right. Again, just one note for the podcast here. He's very, uh, um, what is it? He, he delivers a lot of praise in the first email about what I'm doing on the podcast and the writing and everything else. I, I'm uncomfortable with that. I haven't come to terms with that yet. Every person in the service really is uncomfortable with 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 that sort of congratulatory sort of stuff um I'll read it out as it is I was going to cut it out I'm going to leave it in there as he said it uh it just doesn't sit well with us because we're doing a job anyway we're going to pay for the job and when people talk about it in a in a way like that I I, I don't feel great about it okay I, you know it's one of those things I need to speak to some psychotherapists and work out my own internal issues with that I guess but Either way, I'm going to leave it in now. You'll hear it. He says, this is great, and that's great, and I I don't like it. But we're going to crack straight on, guys, okay? Um, I'm going to read out three emails then. Um, His email to me, my response, and then his email back to me. Let's canter through these three then, and then we'll have a quick chat at the end, see if we can drag some lessons out of it, because I know we can. I know there's some stuff here which some people are going to really get some great stuff out of, okay? All right, Uh, this is the first email then that he wrote to me a few weeks back. Um let's have a look. He's in Australia by the way. I don't know if they said this already. He's um he lives out in Australia now. He's emigrated out there. Okay. Hi Tim. As so many have before me, I wanted to put pen to paper, to coin an old phrase, to say thanks for your unwavering desire to help people succeed and to congratulate you on firstly what I believe to be very pertinent and grounding articles and podcasts. And secondly, for what appears to have been a very successful flying career. I say that because by now you may well have left the service and you're still here to tell the tale, having undoubtedly made a big difference in a lot of young pilots' lives. I've so far listened to probably a dozen of your podcasts and YouTube clips dating back to mid last year, 2016, so I have no idea whether you're still pursuing this type of coaching as your new vocation, so I'll no doubt discover this as I slowly get through the rest of my busy family life and job. Nevertheless, I'm impressed with your coaching style and how you get the message across. After listening to a podcast in the car on the way to and from work, it's kind of inspired me to write a little of my own story. Now, I have no idea whether it would ever be read or, in fact, whether it would be of any use to anyone like yourself, these stories must be ten a penny, and it wouldn't bother me if it wasn't. I'm writing it more as an exercise for me to bring it all back and to allow me to then learn more from it. If you did want to read it, it's not that long, so bear with it. Judging from your articles, I'm a few years ahead of you having just turned 46, but just wish there had been someone like yourself around when I was leaving school back in the late 80s when, like so many kids, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Just knowing I loved aircraft, being part of the Air Training Corps, and my father being a police sergeant in Liverpool, and feeling a uniform service was the sense of natural progression, all without the need for the long soul-searching at such a tender age which, in hindsight, I should have done. Yes... It's a common story, but I soon found myself preparing for the RAF Careers Office, running miles and miles around my local town in the early morning, trying to get myself super fit for basic training and not really being able to see past that first stage to look at the bigger picture of what my career was going to look like. I'm not trying to use this as an excuse, but I feel that your brand of coaching would have, once again, been massively helpful a little later in my career, some years, down the track. On this occasion, I found myself nervously waiting in what was at the time an unsettlingly empty corridor of my base's admin building for one of the interviewing officers to emerge and welcome me into the CEO's office. I was about to sit my interview board where two flight attendants and a squad leader were to determine whether they thought I was good enough to take a trip to Cranwell for the aircrew aptitude testing. I was desperate to make some sort of aircrew and prove to the naysayers that I could do better. I was applying myself. Unfortunately, however, I still doubted my abilities and worthiness, which was evident in the fact I was applying for AOP on the Nimrods and not pilot. This is not impugning the abilities or intelligence the AOP role requires, it just wasn't being a pilot. I felt at the time it was a more believable role for someone like me to go for. There was an inherent fear of being laughed out of whatever room I'd been standing in at the time if I'd entered pilot on the application form. I passed the board and was on my way to Cramwell. To me, it was a daunting prospect and one I hid from my then peers just in case I failed. I would effectively confirm my fears that I wasn't in fact good enough, a vision of myself I simply didn't want to deal with. Unfortunately, on that occasion, I didn't quite hit the mark I was taken into a room for debrief and told that my scores were good enough for them to ask me to take six months more prep time and come back to try again. I didn't. It hurt so much, I didn't feel I had the courage to come back and face the disappointment again. I was in fact believing the naysayers when I should have been moulding it in my mind as I fail fast often then keep getting up to try again. The fact is, I may never have been good enough for military flying or aircrew, but now I will never know. You see, I've been able to relate to so many observations and life experiences you're coaching through in your podcast, such as self-doubt, fear of failing, big one for me, as you may appreciate from the last paragraph, overthinking and procrastinating, to name but a few. That although I wasn't privileged enough to have this sort of coaching and enlightenment when I was going through my experiences and life-altering choices, I'm extremely grateful you've created them as they may someday benefit my three children when it's their time. I can't thank you enough for that. I eventually completed 12 years in the Royal Air Force, enjoying the mateship and experiences during such postings, attachments to places like Cyprus and Norway, but never really finding my niche or passion until I found myself running sim sorties, or simulator sorties, for baby fighter controllers in my final tour. As I'm sure you're aware, it basically entails sitting on a radar console at the opposite end of an ops room, pretending to be... You up there flying the likes of a 2v1 air combat sortie or being the tanker um, and its chicks during those laborious tanking sorties, throwing emergencies and short notice return to base calls into the mix to see how the student controller handled the assets and the aircraft and all the handovers to the differing air traffic agencies. I loved it and I consider myself extremely good at it. I was making a difference in the theatre of air defence. Downside, of course, was that I wasn't flying. Some years later, I'd left the Air Force, been traveling for four months, started a new and progressing career in City Street, made a move to Australia, and then with a divorce under my belt, I felt enough was enough. I wanted to fly. I now had the freedom and means to do it. I hadn't really realized at the time, but during my first marriage, I'd felt unsupported and become disengaged with who I really was. I'd lost myself. I blame myself for it because I didn't have the courage to pursue what I wanted just because my first wife didn't think I could do it. I unfortunately had no children at this stage, so I decided to take the plunge into flying lessons. Now, for someone like yourself, with over 2,500 hours on fast jets, this would seem such a tiny thing. But for me, who'd at the time faced my first wife's disencouraging snigger, followed by the words, yeah, sure, after I told her I'd really like to learn to fly a helicopter, the fact that I was finally doing it was the same as saying, F you, I'm good enough to fly a plane, I'm going to prove it. Sure enough, 16 hours of instructional flight time in the left-hand seat, getting dizzy doing all sort of manners of circuits. Cue your shudder, he says, and I am shuddering at circuits. Um, and my solo check ride day had arrived. Three pretty comfortable circuits later, my instructor beat me to the radio's transmitter button whilst I was preparing to perform my downwind pre-landing check, saying, Hotel Charlie Charlie, downwind for a full stop. Surely all I had to do was nail this landing, I thought. Now I ended up greasing it and he asked me to pull off the active runway and stop but keep the engine running. He jumped out simply saying enjoy the next one but don't forget to pick me up here when you get back. That was one of the best feelings I've ever had and to top it all off my new supportive girlfriend was there watching everything. She'd gotten wind that I was doing my solo check that day and told me she was going to be there. I intended not to tell her once again fearing failing and her being there to see it. I was so proud to have her there. Despite comfortably progressing through the stages of my training, thoroughly enjoying the challenge and getting raving reviews along the way from my instructors of how easy I was to teach and how comfortable they felt with me at the controls, my priorities changed to shy of being able to take an exam and check ride that would see me able to take a passenger. It was the impending birth of my firstborn. I parked the old Cessna after a particularly gratifying solo flight in the training area where I'd been practicing my steep turns and the view on the hazy day to then get on with the adventures of being a dad. I simply couldn't justify the money and time I was selfishly spending on my flying passion with a baby just a few weeks away. The fire still burns bright, however, and I'll, I'll get back up there one day to fulfill a dream of mine to fly my family for adventurous days out. To be able to share it is the dream. Anyway, I could of course talk for hours about how much I enjoyed listening to your flying stories and that I'd vicariously still stay in touch With that Air Force community and flying banter through our occasional dinner parties with my good friend S and her husband Jay, who've not long moved out to Australia. S was one of the first female F3 NAVs or Weapon System Officers. She's now about to embark on her F18 Growler course in the States for a year after transferring to the Royal Australian Air Force. But before I go, I'll share with you that after listening to your podcast and why pilots keep maths simple in the cockpit, and yes, I've always been pretty good with maths. I found myself explaining to my seven-year-old how to break down the maths question he just asked me one morning. It was, Daddy, how many minutes are in 24 hours? A bit easier than your examples, of course, but regardless, I walked him through it and I had a little chuckle to myself after. Apologies for rambling on, but I guess it's a good kind of therapy, actually getting it all down. I'm thoroughly looking forward to diving to the rest of your publications. Keep it up, mate. Regards, Rob in Australia. So that's Rob's email that came in to me a couple of weeks ago. Now, I get a lot of emails, as I'm sure you're aware. A lot of you write to me, and I've always said, if you write me an email, I will write back. It might take me some time. I think it took me uh, about three weeks just to open up Rob's email. I'm just going to grab some tea here real quick. standby. All right, sorry about that. I had to get some tea. I didn't want to pause the old um, recording. Right, so I read Rob's email. I thought, yeah, I'm going to write back to Rob because I write back to everyone. Uh, and I would just say just take a two seconds out of this podcast and just say that if if you're if you're a 16 or 18 year old guy looking to join the Air Force if you can google your answer or google your question first it just saves me a lot of time because I'm really busy as I'm sure you I'm sure you're aware go for the Google and then go for the Tim Google first Tim second that's all I'm asking okay Great stuff uh, Everyone else who's got some real issues of course write me write them to me and let's um, let's chat it through. Uh, Let's chat it through, because I'm a big fan of that. Okay, so I wrote back to Rob, um, and this is my email back to Rob now. Okay, this is the second of the three emails. Rob, I very much enjoyed your email and apologise for not replying sooner. It's a shame we never met in service. I'm sure we'd have had a great deal to talk about. Your email details the essence of what I try and get across to my audience, which is self-belief and perseverance will eventually get you to a position of authentic contribution. I love the fact that you wish to share your flying with friends and family. Flying should always be shared. I'm about to go through the readjustment that is required as we leave the military. I'm apprehensive, but I know that there are some solid guys and girls out there who've done it before and can be lent on when needed. I would like to use your email on the podcast, that's okay with you. I think that it would truly inspire the next generation of warriors, especially when you talk of your own self-doubt. This is all too common in the young men and women who I talk to. Have a quick scan, see if there's anything you wish me not to talk about. It's a very authentic read, and I know people will really benefit from your story. You never said what work you eventually went into and why you moved to Australia. It's interesting how a lack of support at home, however small, can have a devastating effect on someone's effectiveness. I'm gonna write about masculine vulnerability at some point. I need to gather my thoughts on this first. As for you writing for therapy, that's exactly why I do. I get haters, but I'm fine with it. Most of them come from within the service, but I tell them to write themselves, get their own message out there, but they never do, of course. It's much easier to shout from the sidelines than to get out on the football field. One thing that registered with me particularly in your email was the disengagement you felt in your marriage and also that you only found your niche or your passion in the service towards the end. I feel that this is very common in the military. People are struggling with identity and what is an altogether brutal existence. Now, we can all deal with the brutality of the service. We can all do the operational tours, the long hours at work and the frequent moves. But when done with a partner or family, we struggle with the responsibility and ownership of who and what we represent. We don't need to get too deep. Indeed, I refrain from doing this with the young future service joiners. But underlying our role in the military is the requirement to go overseas and to fight bad people. This doesn't sit well in anyone over the age of 25 when our prefrontal cortexes are developed to now understand responsibility and cause and effect. When we have family, we question whether we still want to align them with the violence we train for every day, but this is contrasted with our need to protect them. I believe that this juxtaposition leads to a sapping of life enjoyment. Indeed I feel it leads to a reduction in our creativity as individuals and if we want to get a little deeper I believe that we all have an inherent need to be appreciated. And this is normally done through being creative in some way. So maybe the service has a lot to answer for as to why we are the way we are now but the most important thing we can do is to acknowledge this and address it before moving on. Moving on without addressing issues, will lead to ex-service guys killing themselves a few years down the line, most probably through depression. I've seen it. I've seen it before. Especially when they fail to get the support they need because of a service-inflicted discipline that prevents them from admitting that they have an issue. Thanks for the email, Rob. Let me know if you're happy that I talk it through on the podcast. If I go out to Australia, I'll track you down. You sound like a great guy. With an awesome life that you've worked hard to build yourself. Your family must be proud of you. Let me know how the flying goes in the future. Take care, Tim. That's the end of the email I wrote back to him. And so we're really on the same lines here. You know, we recognize the fact that the service or the services, especially now when everyone's doing more with less, and we all understand that, of course, and we all have that for the last few years at least, coming out of 20 years of constant ops. It It is a tough place to be. We very much enjoy it, else you wouldn't be doing it. Don't get me wrong. There's... Um, I think I saw Prince Harry on TV the other night talking about being in an Afghan, and he was saying that it's almost selfish in a way because we do enjoy it. I mean I don't know anyone that had an Afghan tour that, that didn't enjoy it, and Prince Harry said the same thing. I enjoyed my Afghan tour, most definitely, even though we're armed the whole time and people are getting killed out there and stuff. It's still very enjoyable, very dynamic. And the talks I do to some companies, there are people in these companies that, that realize they have never done the soldiering. They never did the military. They never missed, they, they kind of missed that bit of their life out, and they're, they're trying to get that. So although I might say here in these emails, and I agree with Rob, there's an underlying brutality to what we're doing within the military structure, teaching people to kill people, um, and all that kind of stuff, and we're trying to align it with the family, especially the uh, the Reaper guys out in the States, the remotely piloted air systems vehicles guys that, that sit, on their base uh, out in Vegas and they, they do the job, which is not a job that most people would really want to do. They do it very, very well. And then they get in the car, they drive back to the town. It, it takes about an hour to get home and then they sit there with the wives. They've done some killing that day, some very active killing, and then they go back to the wife and they go down shopping in Walmart, whatever. It's, um, that's got to be a hard existence. It was very similar, I think, when the tornado crews were, were out targeting in Bosnia. I believe they're flying out of Lahrberg or or one of the bases out in Germany. And of course, they were coming into work in the morning, getting airborne, going dropping the bombs, coming back, going home. And after a couple of days of that, a lot of the crews just went, "You know what? We're going to go and live in the mess on the base, and we're going to separate the killing we're doing from the family life." When you're when you're training people to do that job, of course, you are going home every day. And this is the thing I'm trying to get across: the whole it doesn't matter what you're really doing, whether you are active in the killing or whether you're active in the teaching of the killing or whether you're in support of that killing, everything in the service is to do with killing. Let's be honest. We can all talk about protecting UK sovereign airspace. And of course, we call it the armed forces. We call it the defence, don't we? It's defence. We, we do say defence. It just so happens a lot of what we've been doing recently is not being defence necessarily in defence of the homeland. It's being defence of the homeland by engaging with these organisations somewhere else, which is obviously what we want to do. And I fully appreciate that. But there is an underlying brutality to the existence of being within the military structure and if you're going to join the military you have to appreciate that because they're going to ask you that at your interviews as well how do you feel about killing people how do you feel about being part of killing people even if you're a chef even if you're a transport pilot it doesn't matter you're contributing towards that war effort and it's a good thing but don't think you're deciding on when you go to war because you're not it's the government doing it for you let's crack on shall we all right Uh, A bit of a political message in there. It wasn't political at all. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that's the kind of emails we've gone into. So Rob writes back. And this is the last email. So this is the last email from Rob now. And I've got to write back to this one. Uh, Okay, let's jump straight in, shall we? Um, Hi again, Tim. Firstly, no apology necessary. I can't imagine just how many emails and blogs, tweets, Facebook messages, etc. you must be getting. I honestly don't know how you're able to keep up with it. Um, Add to this your workload as well as preparing for a transition into Civvy Street. I can appreciate now why you took to doing some of your podcasts in the car. I should do that again. I am, of course, thrilled to receive your email and especially one so comprehensive and analytical. I very much appreciate you taking the time to write back to me. Your feedback and the way you get your point across is second to none. I feel the comparisons you draw from both the brutality and the coping mechanisms you as aircrew face within the confines and pressure of a demanding cockpit. To be able to create lessons every day corporate souls can learn from is both genius and extremely worthwhile. We could all do with being reminded to adopt a similar process your fast jet course demands, being to analyse your mistakes, learn from them and move on. Computer's being silly. Don't dwell on those mistakes. As I've mentioned... I'm going to be keeping your podcast where my kids or someone I know needs that extra little piece of clarity or advice They're certainly helping me even at 46 years of age. In answer to your question, yes, I'd be more than happy if you'd use my story as material to assist in any way you may feel it may help your audience and those youngsters now facing what we did all those years ago. I could have probably gone into a bit more depth at the time to be honest but was conscious of just how long the email was becoming. It stems from the notion that I have in the back of my mind, having learned early in the corporate environment, I found myself in that overly long emails don't get read. Having said that, a lot of these emails are dull with people are saying useless things for the sake of it. Okay, just to touch on a couple of things that you wrote, if I may. I guess it's not a bad thing you holding back from getting too deep into the business end of what can be required of you in the forces when coaching the young service joiners. There is a romanticism for the younger generation and pride instilled within you When you become a fully fledged member of an institution such as we've been part of. Of course death in whatever form it comes is what we've been trained to deliver notwithstanding rules of engagement of course and should have been thought about and realised before joining but as you said there is also the notion of protection albeit for your loved ones uh, the sovereignty of the kingdom or those unable to fight for themselves. I for one am certainly proud to say I'm ex-forces It certainly helped me become the man I like to think I am today. Disciplined, groomed, hardworking, determined, but you're right. There comes a time when your life must become your own again. This, in fact, is one of the main reasons I left. Something clicked in me, and I no longer wanted my home address to be dictated to by someone else. I wanted control back, and I can get into that part deeper In a second email, I might write after this one if it can be of use to you. Anyway, as you see my father's address book, there are so many crossed out entries of rf based addresses. It's becoming a point of humour during the dinner conversations. Regarding the adjustment you mentioned when leaving the military, especially, I can only imagine after performing the role you did, it may be quite a big one. However, you more than most will be mentally equipped to deal with that despite the apprehension you're feeling. there was a comedic saying amongst the guys around the time I left, probably still around now, but those who had already made the leap of faith used to say, it's the biggest promotion you'll ever get. Attempting to put myself in your shoes for a second, I believe the things I would probably find I'd miss is the ability you had in your role to jump into the jet and break into the clouds from time to time, leaving all those earthly bonds and worries behind for an hour or so, um, and just concentrate on flying the jet. And B, the status and respect you automatically have wearing those grey bags adorned with the coveted pilot's brevet. You will always be amongst the top few percent able to say you used to fly fast jets, and that should never never be understated. Of course, this is coming from a person who has only studied the tactics and vocabulary to allow me to reproduce them on the console, pretending to be you guys, not having spent 20 years doing what you've done, being under the pressure you have without a break in flying. So your mindset is no doubt vastly different. If you've made peace with the above, I believe you're on the right track to continuing to do amazing warrior-like things. I honestly think you've found your niche, mate, and I wish you all the best for the future. And if you can make it work for you financially, you'll be on to a winner. Uh, that's pretty much it. It just goes on then, just to say, uh, sorry for rambling on so much. Um, he finds it incredibly therapeutic. Um, and actually, just that he, he says, kind regards, Rob. He's actually a, a technical communication solution architect out in Australia now. So he sets up servers and stuff within hospitals, which is great. And that's it. That's the last email. So from in there, what can we actually take them from within those emails? There's a lot of quality in there, isn't there? There's a lot of substance, really, from a guy who's gone through 12 years, um, probably open about the errors that he's made within that or the lack of belief that he's had within himself. The lack of the lack of drive, really, to, to, to hit that wall, fall down, pick himself up again, dust himself off, learn those lessons about why he hit the wall and then find another way around it and go and hit the next one. I think that's the key there really. It's a guy looking back on his life and saying, yeah, I wish I'd done things a little bit better. I wish I'd done things a little bit different. I wish I'd kind of listened to say my podcast that weren't around then obviously, but and just understand that failing is a necessity. That's what he needed to know back then. Failing is something that you have to do. You have to get through. I think I've said before that on the squadron, if we have a pilot come to us and he hasn't failed before, we'll probably fail a trip on the squadron. We can fail any trip we want to, of course, but we'll probably fail a trip to see how he or she deals with that failure. Because if they start failing trips on the Typhoon or the Tornado GL4 or the F-35, it can be really detrimental. It can be something that they can't come back from. It can be the maverick walking along a beach with a beer, can talking to his flight instructor about how he's going to jack it all in. So we, we fail people early. And that's what I really want to get across. If these three emails just give you anything, I really want you to take those risks if that's possible for you. Because they're going to be uncomfortable and people are going to laugh at you as well. They're not going to laugh at you though when you've got wings on your chest. They're not going to laugh at you when you're driving your Lamborghini, you're living in your big house, or when you've got the successful career, when you've got the family, when you've got the things that you want to do because you took risk. They're not going to laugh at you then. They're going to, they're going to turn around and say, You know what they're going to say to you? They're going to say, you're so lucky. That's what they're going to say. Look how lucky you are. And you'll know what that luck really means. That luck really means that you took those risks and you were happy to fail because through failure, you were going to learn something. And a lot of people don't learn anything because they don't take those risks because they don't want to fail. They don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. They don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. It's incredible, isn't it? So, as Rob says here, you know, he wished he'd gone for pilot. He doesn't know what would have happened, but he was embarrassed about going for pilot. Because by going for pilot, if he didn't get it, he felt people would laugh at him. And they would. But you think he cares now, being in Australia with a great family, doing a job he loves, getting the flying in? Do You think he would care now that people laughed at him back at the day? No, of course he wouldn't. Age of 46, of course he wouldn't. Because he understands now that the things he should have done would take the bigger risk to challenge himself to fail forwards fail fast fail often that's what he should have done and that's what we all should be doing but I'm not here to lecture you am I that's not what I'm here for I'm here to read you some emails on a podcast and let you guys write me some emails and talk it through that's what I'm into okay excuse me right I've got some tea downstairs I've got to go drink guys it's Saturday night my wife's at a conference I've got all sorts of pets in the house I've got to go and entertain I really appreciate you listening it's gonna be about 30 minutes um I would Really like some feedback on this. I've got a Patreon account if you want to throw me some cash. I'm not asking you for cash, but it, this stuff gets expensive for hosting. Um, by all means, let me know some feedback on here. I'll drop this on the Facebook tube-ness stuff. Um, and no, I'm not getting a Snapchat account. I've got some very young people out there wanting me to get a Snapchat. I'm just not going to do it, guys. Okay? Or Insta. I'm not going to get into this stuff right now. So I'm going to drop it into Facebook. That's what we're going to be using at the moment. Uh, obviously, the podcast out there as well. Hook up the podcast, uh, have a listen um, to some other ones if you can. All right, I'm going to leave you with that. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Tim Davies, Fast Hit Performance.